Hey, did you like last week's sermon about marriage? You came back. We're going to talk about fighting today. Now, I'm not going to necessarily get into the nitty gritty part about fighting. So don't feel like you're going to be justified in what you do by hearing this sermon today. Because I know some of you showed up hoping for that. That he's going to preach and then I'm going to be right when I leave. That's why you brought your spouse today. I'm going to let the preacher tell him this time. Uh, That's not what we're going to do. We're going to look at the fall of man again at the very beginning. And we're going to see... um, we're going to see some lessons, I believe, from that. So before you go to sleep, stand back up. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 3. You can't skip over Genesis just because you think you know how the world was created. There's a lot of stuff in here. Genesis chapter 3, we'll start at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Is there a chance that the serpent ate the fruit before he gave it to her and showed her how smart he was? Look at that statement right there. That it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So there's some things in sin that your friends know that you don't know yet because they live in sin. Don't follow them down that path. You don't need to know that. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her stupid husband. It's in the, it's in the original language there. They left it out. Who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord coming as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And when they hid, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The perfect way God created them all of a sudden became shameful when sin entered the picture. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you not, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? That's a whole nother sermon. See, he just, God realized that he knew more than he was supposed to know. Sin caused him to know more than he was supposed to know. Don't let your kids experience some things just because you think they should have the experience. They don't need to know it. They don't need to know it. How do you know that? Because I was sinning. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, it's not my fault. The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? She said, it's not my fault either. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It has an infinite ability to change us every time we look into it. And I pray it would do that today. Make our relationships better. Make our marriages better. And let the blessing of God rest on our life because of it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. Turn turn to the person standing beside you and say, it's not my fault. You may be seated. It's not my fault. 
It is not my fault. Hey, watch this. God created Adam in perfect. We talked about this a month or so ago. Perfect. He created him in perfect communion with him. It was God could come down, walk in the cool of the day, and just be with Adam. There was no separation. There was no sin. There was no shame. Adam could be just the way God created him to be naked and feel nothing out of the ordinary. And then he comes along and creates Eve, and the exact same thing happens. They are in perfect harmony with each other. God says the two of you will become one. One flesh. So I created two of you, but the, but the idea is for you to live in existence together as one, and then together as one, you'll be in perfect communion with me. And I don't know how long that lasted. But what I find shocking is the rapid rate at which all of that goes by the wayside when sin enters into the picture. It is unbelievable how quick things change when sin enters into the picture. It says that it says that the woman was tempted by the serpent and she saw that it was good to eat. It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was good for knowledge. And my thought is, is that the serpent must have been just lapping it up like crazy and going, hey, I know more than you do. If you eat this, you'll know as much as I, you'll know much as God does. Hey, wait, I know as much as God does. Because wasn't that Lucifer's thing? I want to be like God. So watch this. I know as much as God knows. Eat the same thing and you'll know as much as God knows. And she says, oh, I'm convinced now because Lucifer knows. Isn't it just like that high school kid that you were like, dude, how do you know so much? Do you remember those kids in high school? Do you remember visiting them in jail after high school? So, so she finds this out. She takes a bite of it. Her husband is standing right there like, what just happened? She gives some to him. He eats it. Immediately, they feel guilt and shame. They feel shame, and they're embarrassed about what God had created them to originally be. And so they start sowing fig leaves, and they cover up their nakedness. God comes down and says, hey, where are you? And Adam says, oh, we were naked, so we were hiding from you. Who told you? How do you know more than you were supposed to know? And Adam says, watch what he says. This is the very foundation for marriage, by the way. If you're going to have a disagreement in marriage and you don't have this in it, then you will never come to a resolution of a disagreement because you won't be able to trust the other person in the disagreement. So what happens is, if there is not trust in your relationship as the foundation then you will never get anywhere after there's a disagreement because you never really know, were they telling me the truth? And what happens in the be- at the very onset of sin coming into the relationship between Adam and Eve, Eve is Adam throws Eve under the bus. Can you see how quick that happens? Adam, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat of? That woman you gave me. See, when sin enters a picture, we not only blame the spouse, we blame God. And we don't trust each other. If you're going to blame me for everything, I can't trust you then. So Adam says, hey, I blame her and you. And she says, well, I blame him. And automatically, when sin enters a picture, self-preservation becomes the top priority in Adam and Eve's life. Now, it's not I love you, it's I need to survive in spite of you. 
Now I'm willing to hurt you for my survival. And at the basic definition of a good relationship, if my spouse knows that I'm out for myself more than I'm out for her, if Beth knows that I'm more willing to protect me than I am her, there is no trust in the relationship. And so when we have a disagreement, she's always going to wonder in the back of her mind, is he manipulating me for his own good? Can you imagine arguments after this with Adam and Eve? Something goes wrong. Kids trying to kill each other. And Eve looks at Adam and goes, you can blame me again? Oh, well, are you going to do what you did when we, th- when we ate the fruit? You were fine with it when the, ju- when the juice was dripping down your mouth. You were all good. And then when God comes around, you're going to blame me. You're going to blame me for this? Can you see how the disagreements would start to pile up now? Because now it was just, I don't trust you because I know you think this is my fault. Can I say this? Why do we have to always assign blame to somebody? I was talking to the staff about this. Why do we always need somebody to throw under the bus? I don't, I don't understand that. Philosophy. Who are we going to blame this on? Why? Why do we need to blame it on somebody? Why does it need to be somebody's fault? If you enter into a disagreement with your spouse and immediately you go to, we got to figure out whose fault this is, you can forget it. Because they'll be waiting on you the next time. Oh, this is my fault again. Oh, this is my fault. So sin enters into the picture, and the two that had become one by God's design have now separated. So our relationship with God was not only separated, our relationship with each other was separated. So we didn't only get separated from God. Now as evidence of Adam's willingness to blame his spouse for everything means he's only looking out for himself now. Hey, God, you started this out, this whole, we're going to become one flesh, but she's the one ate it first. And I'm going to make sure you know that, because I'm still your man. (laughs) I didn't have a choice, man. You gave her to me. She said it was time to eat. She always cooks dinner, so I was like, what am I going to (laughs) do? Ain't nothing else to eat here. I don't I wonder how sick it made God. That the very couple he created to defend and protect and to be one, all of a sudden were so defiant of each other in the moment. Had to hurt. So if there's no trust in the relationship, if I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, they're, 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 we're having this argument because they're just trying to get their way. And they're looking for a scapegoat. Then, then it's never going to come to a good end. Matthew 20, 28. This is actually the exact opposite of what Jesus came and showed us. And in Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I didn't come to blame anybody. Isn't that awesome? Every time the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would come to Jesus and say, whose fault is this? He would say, I'm not here to blame anybody. If, if, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. I'm not here to blame anybody. I came here for the people that were sick. I came here to redeem people. I didn't come here to be served, but to serve and give my life is a ransom for many. Doesn't that sound a lot different than Adam? Not my fault. 
Not my fault. Not once do you hear the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, come to the earth and go, God, this is impossible. Can't save all these retarded people. Look at them. They're crazy. No, no, no. He never say, he never makes an excuse. He all he never casts blame. He always says, I came to serve. I came to lay my life down. And his spouses and and in any relationship you have, is as long as you're out for self-preservation, it will never work. There has to be trust. Can I trust my spouse to put me first? That's what Jesus did. He put us first while we were sinners. Christ died for us, right? James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? I want what I want when I want it. And if I don't get it, it's your fault. There's something else that is shocking to me. Is that sin immediately enters the picture and it doesn't seem like there's any remorse with either of them. And I see this in marriage all the time. I'm right and she's wrong, and I'm fine with that. I'm right, and he's wrong, and I'm fine with that. As long as we get it clear that I'm right, I don't care what the outcome is. I see it all the time. I'm like, okay, so you would rather be right than married. Because that's where this is going, bro. You'd rather be right than... Then, then live in the same house. You'd rather be right than in a good relationship. You'd rather, rather be right. So here's the, here's the thing that, watch this. They eat of the fruit. They sin. Sin enters into the picture. God says, who told you that you were naked? Well, this woman you gave me gave me some fruit. What if as soon as you realize there was a disagreement, I'm jumping ahead, I better slow down. Isn't it shocking? Isn't it shocking that they didn't even say, God, I'm sorry? If you have a problem apologizing, ask yourself who you're protecting. Because it ain't anybody else. When sin enters into the picture, it, 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 conf- it, it conflicts the conflict. We get into a spot where where a disagreement that could ultimately produce something positive comes into uh, turns into a self-preservation. I'm not apologizing for this and it's not my fault. And so something that God could turn into, hey listen, we don't agree eye to eye on this, but I think there's a path to the future turns into self-preservation and protectionism. And there's no place for it in godly relationships. Trust is a must, right? Now, let me say this for all of you pacifists out there. You say, well, I don't, I don't really like getting in disagreements, so I just agree with everything. Well, that's just as bad as getting in disagreements. Watch this, watch this, psychologically, watch this. So we're talking about self-preservation, right? We're talking about, I want to win this at all costs. So watch what being a passive or, or being, being, um, being non-confrontational, uh, like avoiding conflict at all costs. You are actually manipulating your partner just as much if they were arguing with you all the time. 
Because of your unwillingness to feel uncomfortable in a confrontation or in a conflict, you then manipulate the situation to act like there is none. And then 45 years later, you lose your mind and your spouse is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You never said anything for the past 45 years. Well, I was trying to keep the peace. No, you weren't. You were trying to postpone the conflict, which is anything but keeping the peace. So sometimes, sometimes we come into things and we're like, well, I just, we, we could turn it into, well, I want the best for us and so I'm not going to bring it up. That's actually bringing out the worst. Because God can actually use the disagreement and conflict in your life to bring you to a mutual agreement on something or at least bring you to a conclusion about what the, each of you believe and, and, and direct the path so that you can keep walking. But because you're trying to manipulate the situation and just have peace all the time, you never get there. I, I said this, I say this, I'm the king of awkward conversations. I'm like, we're going to have it one time or another. So let's go ahead and have it now. Can you just get over the fact that having a disagreement doesn't mean everybody hates you? It doesn't. It simply means this. We don't agree. We don't agree. It doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right, which probably you are wrong and I'm right, but it, that's, we'll figure that out on the way. But it doesn't necessarily mean there's anybody to blame. It doesn't mean there's necessarily anything to, to fix. It just means at the moment we disagree. So how can together we work towards a solution or at least a common ground to move forward? But if it never comes up, so what I see all the time is like, oh, there's never any problems with us. And I'm like, you're, you're crazier than I thought. So being a pacifist doesn't mean you're a peacemaker. Amen? So I just want to throw out out there for all of you who are sitting there like, oh, I never fight with anybody. Like, you're just as crazy as we are. Just want to throw that out there, biblically speaking, in all love and honor and with great regard to you. Not wanting to upset anybody. <laughs> Avoiding conflict is not being honest. It's not... It's not building trust in your relationship. It's actually one of the most selfish things you can do to someone. All right, the second thing, trust is a must. The second thing, the partner has now become the problem. You see, we've made a transition now from, from I'm giving you a helpmate and this is gonna be an awesome relationship. You're, the two are gonna become one and you're gonna worship me and this is gonna be a great situation to now, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Do, do, do you realize, men, in case you're wondering, some of you guys that may be having babies for the first time or you just had a baby and you were in the delivery room and your wife looked at you and her face contorted into the devil and she went, you did this to me. That's where it started. It's not you. It's the sin in her. Here's the issue. God said to the woman, pain will come from your husband. Because we're 2017, I haven't figured out another way to do it yet. The source of your pain, childbirth, will be because of your relationship with your husband. 
So now the, the beautiful part of, of a married couple becoming one flesh and united together now has all of a sudden become somewhat of a curse to the woman. And so the problem is, is he also tells her your desire for, will be for your husband and out of that desire, great pain will come. How encouraging is that? Hey, I'm looking forward to being married to you, Adam, for the next ah, 700 years. I'm looking forward to you bringing me great pain. It's going to be exciting, isn't it? You see, we never talk about that on the wedding day, do we? We believe that there's going to be a great future of this couple. They're going to bring each other great pain, great sorrow. They're going to argue and fight and blame each other. But we hope, we hope and pray to God that some way they'll find a path in the middle. But, but wife, I'm telling you right now, as you make your vow to your husband, he's going to wreck your life. And husband, I'm telling you right now, as you make your vow to your wife, she's going to wreck yours. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Do you see, as soon as sin entered into the picture, the two people that were supposed to be partners are now problems to each other. You gave me the fruit, I ate it, and now my toil in the ground will barely feed us. Wives, you know how hard it is to please a husband who will never bring satisfaction from his work? Amen. <laughs> it is impossible. But God looks at Adam and he says, listen, you're going to toil the ground and you're not going to get a lot for it. It's going to be hard, difficult labor. And so here a man who was set to have dominion over the whole garden, over all the animals and, and all this stuff, now he's laboring to the point where it's becoming exhausting and he's not receiving really any, much for it. He says, you're going to eat from it, but it's not going to be joyous. So Adam's always thinking back. So sin enters the picture and now sets us against each other. Now my pain comes from you. And when you're in the marriage relationship, if you let sin take a foothold, that's what it ends up looking like. Now, my pain is caused because of you. And you see divorce after divorce after divorce. Because why? Because one spouse or the other spouses cause more pain than the other one can stand. But I'm telling you, it was prophesied. This should not be shocking. As long as we let sin enter into the picture, it's going to constantly drive a wedge between us. It will be not fighting for each other, it's fighting with each other. And so now Adam and Eve all of a sudden have the realization that the one-time bliss that they lived in was now going to be destroyed by the other person. Hey, sin, sin not only causes me to blame you, it gives me a reason to. So now God hands down the curse. Painful childbirth because of the man. Painful work because of the woman. Your desire will be for the one who will bring you pain. And he will want to do what he wants. <laughs> Way back at the beginning. It says this is how marriage is going to look as long as sin is in it. You're going to want a husband that's a certain way. And he's going to do what he wants to do. Somebody say amen to that. God said at the beginning, this is what happens when sin. And so you wonder why you can never come to an agreement. It's because 
It's because if the next step has not happened, it's going to be really difficult. Because we talked about self-preservation. Instead of trust, it's protect me. Instead of, instead of believing that the other person is doing it for my good, it's protect me. Protect me. I can't trust them. They're going to throw me under the bus. I can't do this. I can't do this. And the second thing, oh, it's their fault. It's their fault. I'm going to cast blame. But if you can do, do the third, this third point, if you can do that, I think it can, I think we can conquer the first two. James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God. What did Adam and Eve not do? The realization, the sin came into their life. They made fig branches and did all this dumb stuff. And God says, what happened? They didn't say, God, we are repentant of what we did. This was the dumbest thing we've ever done in our lives. We realize a serpent is is a deceiving, evil thing. And we are sorry for what we've done. Please forgive us. They didn't do any of that. They started blaming each other. But James comes along later, and James says, do this. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Somebody say, amen, thank you, Lord. Drop kick that bum in the mouth. Resist. If there's anything a husband and wife need to do together, it's learn to resist. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to submit ourselves to God. I saw what happened with Adam and Eve. I saw what happened with Adam and Eve. By the way, I saw what happened with Adam and Eve's kids when they didn't submit. You want your kids to grow up in a household that looks different from the one you grew up in? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's a promise. Now watch this. This is a difficult part. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like a great promise. No, that's the, that's the formula to the promise. So watch this. If I ever run into people who I know consistently submit themselves to God, I know they have the tools to have a disagreement and get through it. Because watch. I can't submit myself to God and then demand my own way. And if I will submit myself to God, that means from James's point of view, he says, submit yourself to God and then be repentant of your sins. Wash your hands and be repentant to God for what you have done. Wail more. Don't have a party. Be honest with yourself and with the people around you, with your spouse. This is my fault. I did this. And I'm sorry about it, and I'm asking for forgiveness. And I'm not blaming anybody but me. And this is the promise James says. He says, if you will do all this, if you will do all of this, he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and what? He will lift you up. He will lift you up. So you say, man, we've been fighting like cats and dogs. I know, I know the sin is in the picture. I know we've been in the mode of self-preservation. We can't even trust each other because the last time I trusted him, he threw me under the bus and then backed over it and then went down and got the neighbor's car. <laughs> Every time, we can't. What's your first step? Submit myself to God. 
I want you to think about this. Before you actually engaged in a disagreement with your spouse or any relationship, what would happen if you submitted yourself to God first and wailed and mourned for your own sin? Before you went in and had a disagreement with somebody who was just as sinful as you. Holy cow. Because at the end of the day, we want God to lift us up. At the end of the day, we want to be able to come to an agreement to honor God, not to get our way. We want to come to an agreement to honor God and, and better our spouse. We want to come to an agreement that can promote us and, and, and propel us into the future. So watch this. If I get the vertical right, I can get the fight right. If I get the vertical right, I can get the fight right. Because I'm, now I'm not fighting with you, I'm fighting for you. Oh, that's, that sounds totally different in a relationship, doesn't it? That sounds totally different. Because you can't mask, well, I'm getting a boat and I don't care what it looks like, as fighting for you, right? So now I know what you're going to do. Now you're going to go home today and say, baby, I think I love you so much that I want you to have a boat. <laughs> don't do that. I want you to have me a new car. <laughs> But it comes totally different if when, I, if when I'm in a disagreement with somebody, I have their best interest at heart. It looks totally different than, I'm, than me protecting myself, doesn't it? So there's got to be trust in your relationship or, you'll, or all you will do is argue with no point to it. You have to see your spouse as somebody that, that with God's grace is not your problem anymore. Amen? Can I just throw this caveat in there? Let God fix them. Come on. Let God fix them. Let God fix them. Let God fix them. Because you ain't qualified or certified in that department. Because if you always see them, if sin allows you to see them as the problem, then there might not be a solution. So what we do is we take sin out of the picture. We submit ourselves to God, and then guess what? We can trust each other. We submit ourselves to God, and then we realize you're not really the problem. And we submit ourselves to God, and then he lifts both of us up. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. The band's going to come. I just talked to somebody last week, and my wife and I were talking about this last night. Here's what I'm realizing. Here's what I'm realizing. Here's what I'm realizing. Here's what I'm realizing. I need you to get this. We're going to talk about marriage for a couple more weeks. I am starting to see, I am starting to experience and have my, and just open my eyes and watch this. Families, couples who will honor God in their relationship with each other, in their relationship with him, who, who, will, who will chart their path according to the way God generosity, all these things, putting their spouse first, trusting each other, having the best in mind for each other, loving each other. Here's what, after 20 year, or 21 years of marriage and 17 years at the same church, I'm now watching and experiencing what the blessing of God looks like. And I start, I'm starting to look at families and I'm like, how are their kids so different? How are they so different? 
And I start looking back and I start, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. They kicked the sin out. The devil might have came and tempted them early at the beginning, but they kicked him out. They didn't make any excuses. They just kept kicking him out, kicking him out, kicking him out, kicking him out. And then I start looking and I go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. this thing's real. The blessing of God on a family is real. It's real. It is unmistakably real. And what happens, watch this. <laughs> what happens is that people that don't understand the blessing of God, they look at people with the blessing of God on their lives and they go, well, their kids are perfect. Mm -mm. We spanked them. Did I say that? But there's no mistaking what the blessing of God looks like in a family. And so, so here you, here we have the opportunities of church to learn. Here we have the opportunities of church that out of the confines of marriage, out of the boundaries of marriage, God can have, God can pour out this unbelievable blessing on generation after generation after generation after generation and then you know what happens your neighbors benefit from it because your kids aren't throwing eggs at their house their neighbors benefit from it your co-workers benefit from it because we're doing it God's way and we're experiencing the blessing from doing that amen and I want you to open up your eyes and I don't want you to go well they got perfect kids when you see somebody in the church with their kids I want you to say, maybe that's what the blessing of God looks like, and I want it on my life as well. Trust each other. Realize that your spouse is not the problem. And realize that submitting to God can prepare me for the conflict. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. God, you've been good to us. Here you give us one more chance to do it your way. Here you give us one more chance to submit to you in our relationships. Lord, when we have conflict and we have disagreements in our relationships, to submit to you. And we can fight for each other, not just with each other. And Lord, we pray that as we do these things, Lord, that your blessing would be poured out on us. Lord, that it would impact our kids, our neighbors, our friends. Lord, that everyone around would know that something's different because we've submitted our relationships to you. We've submitted ourselves to you. And we pray that through this process, that your name would be glorified, that we lift you and honor you. We thank you for it. We give you praise because of it. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, church, could you give him an honor and glory this morning?